Hey everyone, this is Connor. Before we get started, I just want to encourage you to check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. If you become a patron, you'll get access to multiple exclusive episodes every month. And you can also join our patrons-only Discord chat, where Pete and I talk informally with the Podside Picnic community. So if you like the show, go ahead and check us out at patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. Thanks. Welcome back to Podside, everyone. This is, of course, Carlo. Uh, today, I am joined by my co-host, Kurt. Hey, Kurt. Hello. And uh, we are joined with returning guest, Raquel S. Benedict, the most dangerous woman in speculative fiction. Hello. Um, oh, hello, Raquel. <laughs> How are you doing? Doing okay. So, I am podcasting uh, on a Friday night. I feel good about my life choices. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what, uh, Raquel? I'm going to say, I'm going to wish you not a happy holiday. I'm going to wish you a Merry Christmas. A black Christmas, if you will. <laughs> um, so uh, we're, we're going to be discussing uh, the 1974 uh, movie Black Christmas. Uh, and this this had like a couple of um, remakes or something like that, right? In 2006 and yes. 2016 as well, right? Yes, it is an it. iconic, really influential slasher movie. So it's had a lot of remakes and... I haven't seen them. I've heard that the remakes managed to somehow be less progressive and less feminist <laughs> than the original, despite being made like 30 years later, which is upsetting. Um, Excuse me, Raquel. Uh, everyone knows that slasher flicks cannot be progressive. They're always reactionary. In fact, all of horror is, right? Yeah, like this one especially is super anti-sex. The only survivor is the ver- Wait a minute. <laughs> Hold on. What? Yeah, so... Um, so, so... I, 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 I watched this for the first time... Uh, for this episode, and uh, I, I wanted to ask you, Raquel. So, when did you first watch this? And and you know, like, wh why did you, why is it that you want to talk about? It? I, I I feel like you've sort of prefaced that a little bit right now, but why do you want to talk about this today? I mean, originally, I think our our mutual friend Ty Black recommended me for this episode, so he wanted me mm -hmm. to talk about this, but. I, I am absolutely game because I think this is a really interesting horror movie in it, it's wildly influential. It's got the iconic line of the call is coming from inside the house, which is pretty <laughs> cool to, to see where that came from. And it's such an interesting, I think, feminist statement in a yeah. huge way. It I know that slashers can be kind of reactionary they can be kind of sleazy and misogynistic and this one really isn't but mm. it's still just horrifying and absolutely brutal mm -hmm. yeah yeah i yeah, agree it's, it's an unusual film because like, like 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 you were saying like i i didn't realize until i was this was also my first time watching it uh i didn't realize just how early it was like but, but like possibly the first like mo modern slasher or one of the make the second or third like it's very early and it has elements that are that are very reminiscent of like the 80s slasher boom but right. it also has things that feel more like a throwback to like like 50s and early 60s style kind of like cr crime horror kind of like like an older style of 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 horror and like the slasher cliches aren't quite fully in place and so it it's it's kind of surprising to watch as someone who you know i consider myself like very familiar with you know slashers and uh, giallo films and because it, it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't follow all quite all the beats of that and so it, it goes some some unexpected places right I, I i'll say um up front that one of the things that um that really stood out to me as i was watching this is it's Compared to um, to sort of like the '80s and and more modern slasher films, like like the '80s ones, you know, sort of like take their cues from each other to a certain extent mm -hmm. um, right. after a point. But but now I feel like all of uh, like especially like these uh, slasher flicks have to be 
almost like they're taking cues from like Final Destination type of stuff, <laughs> where it's like these very convoluted type of kills and shit like that. Um, and and this feels so very sort of almost sedate in uh, its like. I don't want to say that it's got a a, a, a slow pace to it, but but it, it's mostly uh, you know sort of very almost a drama where a slasher climbs into the into an open window and he's hiding in the house. Right. Yeah, like like he like you know some somebody from another uh, genre movie you know is hiding out in this one. You know. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the characters, granted, they're played kind of broadly because you have so many and you've got to just establish this is the body one. This is the nice one. This is the mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah one. This is the drunk one. But there's a, they actually go through this whole psychological thing and it focuses on what they're going through and their relationships with each other and, and their relationships and frustrations with the local police and – and so on and so forth in a way that a lot of broad 80s slashers didn't. A lot of the 80s slashers were almost like slapstick comedies, really. And this one really takes it a little bit more seriously. And there's also something very interesting, which is that we never see the mm-hmm. killer in this movie and we never mm-hmm. find out who he is. Mm-hmm. We yeah. think his name is Billy, maybe. People or refer to him yeah. as Billy. He uses or, the or, name or, Billy, but we're not. We don't know who the fuck yeah. he is. He's never yeah. caught. That's so, that's one of the big things that threw me because to to Carlos' point about like you know the the kind of the kind of heightened cliches of slasher films and like kind of having to play around with these convoluted revelations. Right. I, the whole time I was doing the thing of like, okay, which of the, which of the characters that we have been introduced to is actually the killer. Um, mm-hmm. And, and then they're like, oh, it wasn't anybody. Yeah. <laughs> was they're counting on else. that. They're counting on you to watch it and go like, oh, it's the boyfriend. Oh, it's this. Yeah. So it's that. Well, and I mean, no, it's not. N- not to jump ahead, but but we're given an answer. It's the wrong one, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But we're given an answer, uh, and and it, you know, in in you know, I think that that's one of the more uh, dramatic irony moments where mm-hmm. you're like, no, 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 this can't end like this. <laughs> it, it also uh, it, it also emphatically, I I would say it's not really an exploitation film, which is the other thing that feels missing. Like like. The hmm. kills aren't really super gory. They're not like lingered. Like, you know, you don't get the classic slasher blood spray very no. much. You, you get a little bit of that. You don't get the classic slasher gratuitous nudity, which in a film about a sorority house, I was yeah, like, kind of wow, very unexpected. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's got sorority right there in the title. What? Um, yeah. Uh, so, so um, one thing speaking, if we can go back to uh, the, the killer, um, I don't want to say that this is the first time that this technique is used, but it feels very, um, it, 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 I was left with the question is like, is this the first time that we get the camera as the viewpoint of the slasher specifically? I mean, probably not, but it's definitely an early example. And I know this is before Halloween. This came out at the same year as Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Mm -hmm. it looks like, which took a rather different approach, a lot more of a like brutal gonzo approach, I guess. But, oh gosh, I I mean, I know the, the classic thing is... Oh, okay. Uh, Psycho is the first slasher movie. I don't know if Psycho used the point of view cam, though. Mm-hmm. Maybe a little uh, bit during the shower scene. In the shower yeah, scene, like, yeah. Yeah, in the shower bit. scene, that's a little bit. Um, um, there there were definitely uh, Italian um, giallo films that used the point of view, um, like, you know, murderer cam. Uh, but was this well before, before 1974? This. Yes. Yeah, definitely okay. well before then. Yeah, because okay. like Mario Bava started making them in like the mid 60s. So like they're they don't quite have that okay. same classic look, but they, 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 they definitely had like the first person um, okay. slasher cam. But and in this, this instance, this it's definitely used feels carefully to hide the yes. identity of the killer and, and mm-hmm. instead of using a silly mask or something. Yeah, it, it's, it's also it's, it's interesting. Like it's not used. um to, again, to that point about it not really being like an exploitation film, it's 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 not doing the classic like you know zoom in on the victim's face, well you know while the hands are strangling her, you know like 
sort of thing for the most part. A, a lot of it is used for like the slasher, like moving around and climbing, you know, a trellis and, and hiding behind doors and, and stuff. It's, it's not, it's not to, it's not so much like to show the gore. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Or, or to, uh, or for you to be invited to sort of identify. Exactly. With. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which, which is interesting because that, that I think is s- such a core aspect of the way that people analyze s- slasher films as, you know, like you identifying with both the killer and, and the victim to various degrees as the viewer. Um, and, and this, it's not really quite so much the case in this one. So, yeah. No, because so much of the time when we're getting the, the Billy point of view cam, he's just screaming this insane insane shit yeah where you would not identify with this guy this guy's fucking nuts mm-hmm. in a yeah. really gross way not in like a very fun rude. entertaining yes, kind of charming way everything he <laughs> says is just like ew god so so maybe we should just do a very brief synopsis because uh you know i'm, I'm good we're gonna guess that everyone here is that that is listening will have watched the you know the film before we you know they listen but at the same time uh i mean th- there is what is it uh the the ostensible main character of the movie um even though it's like th- there's several sort of like strong uh characters in the sorority uh the the main one seems to be uh jess uh played by is it olivia hussey <laughs> yes okay um and uh she's she's got like a little backstory that that is actually um i was i was really sort of uh taken in by or, or drawn in i should say by how um they they draw it out it doesn't feel like it didn't feel like uh it's manipulative it just sort of feels very uh sort of naturalistic like you know we got to talk and i i Raquel, I think you had mentioned, you know, sort of like one of the the plot point that I'm going to talk about or, or that we're going to talk about. Right. But and this but, is a plot point that is missing mm-hmm. from mo- from the remakes, as far as I know. Yeah. And they don't and go even, there. Even though I knew the plot point, I was like, oh, shit, they got to talk. What, what's going on? <laughs> like, yeah. like I completely forgotten because somehow like the like something in how the movie was made sort of just sort of set like just let let me put everything that i knew about it aside and just sort of enjoy it um and and you know so she's she's got like a a boyfriend uh, uh, who's called is it peter right i think it's peter yeah yeah and um and you know we find out later on that uh you know they've been seeing each other uh you know pretty pretty steadily uh, it seems like as it uh, as we start to see their interactions because she's pregnant mm-hmm. and she wants to have an abortion. Now, you and know what who- I love about oh. this movie? I'm sorry, is that they use the word abortion. Yeah, there's no I don't want to keep it. I don't I can't have this baby. There's zero euphemism. She says flat out, I'm getting an abortion. Mm-hmm. And she uses the word and is not apologetic. She's not regretful. She's not torn up about it. She's like, no. I'm not, I have things I want to do with my life and I don't want to have a baby. I don't want to drop out of school. I don't want to marry you right now. I don't want to settle down yet. I am getting an abortion. And if you don't like that, you know, well, that's too bad, dude. And it's so refreshing to see that even, even when it's dealt with in present day media, there's so much hemming and hawing and supposedly Mm -hmm. progressive feminist film they're still like oh i don't know this one she's just flat out like i want an abortion bam in in part because the 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 culture shifted i mean we do see um some of the the ways that peter wants to sort of manipulate the situation and be involved in her decision (laughs) and you know one of them is oh you're gonna kill our baby um yeah, you know, so uh, in in more sadly in our more modern remakes, I'm gonna guess uh, they 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 you know if they had included it, you know, it would have been sort of like very much like uh, adopting that. What is it, what's the what's the phrase? Uh, Adoption is an uh, option, I guess. Uh, or no, the no. Um, uh, safe and rare or something like right, that. Right, safe, legal, and rare. There we go. Yeah. Uh, which is sort of like, well, who gives a shit? It's mm-hmm. not, yeah. it's nobody's business, it, you know, uh, other than the person, you know, making the decision, who cares? Yeah. 
And, um, you know, that like th- that the inclusion of outright talking about abortion would have would have even been much more overtly political in 1973 and 74. Yeah. Although this is a Canadian film, I mean, that's that's the year after Roe versus Wade was passed. Mm. Yeah. Which is cool in that. I mean, this is at a time when I think it was more overtly political and they yep. fucking went for it. They had the balls. So the remakes have no goddamn excuse. It's offensive to me. Mm-hmm. What I was going to say before, which I'm glad that we had that that much more uh, salient uh, and s- significant digression, but um, which which jumped out. The, the thing that jumped out to me as soon as Peter shows up, her her boyfriend, um, is that that's that's Dave from mm-hmm. 2001: A Space I, Odyssey. I, I just I, I was trying to <laughs> Kurt. I was trying to place him, and then I looked it up, and I was like, oh shit! It, like he's got like long hair and a turtleneck, like the, yeah. the most 74 well, dude ever. Well, what's 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 funny is, and I I do not understand this, but I I I, I guess it worked out. Uh, the director wanted him uh, cure. What's his name? Kier something. Kier Dual or something like yeah, that. Yeah, Dahlia. Kier Dahlia. Um, so he he wanted to get him for the role specifically because of his performance in 2001. <laughs> I, I don't really see the connection, but okay. You know, I mean, he did right. a job. <laughs> well, uh, you know, uh, maybe um, in part because part of the, I believe that part of like the, the, the thing that makes Dave uh, a weird character in 2001 is the fact that he is more sort of uh, less emotive and more mm-hmm. sort of like machine like than than Hal is yeah. uh, and so uh, to a certain extent uh, throughout the this movie um he's like it feels like he's trying on like different emotions to try to win over uh, and keep um Jess you know, like, like uh, in a relationship, uh, and you know, wanting to have uh, his kid. Oh, he's all over the place. He ranges from being super sentimental and hey, sweetie, and then just being mm-hmm. crazy and destructive and unhinged. Mm-hmm. Like the scene where he breaks into the sorority house, smashes a window, and then gets in and is all like smiling. Hey, girl, oh, what's yeah. up? Like, fuck, Jesus Christ, dude. Which is so unsettling that you, you someone can turn it that on and off like that so quickly and just you know smash your your house, break into your home, and then just be like, yeah, everything's cool. What? No. Yeah. Well, no, even, you kicked out. You broke open a lock to get here. Kurt, go ahead. Oh, I, I, I was going to say it's very telling that when the police are like, you know settle on the idea that like could the deranged caller be peter uh jess is like well it's you know okay it's possible (laughs) like admittedly it's possible she's not like no not peter that's that's completely unheard of she's like well he is a little you know he has he's a little sensitive he's an artist well it's also um it's also sort of like uh that's i feel like that's an escalation it's a callback and an escalation of a previous scene right because she remember she gets one of the many uh uh obscene phone calls or whatever you know i don't know i don't know if it would be obscene but definitely not not wanted um from from the killer um and uh she's like basically we we get if i remember correctly we even get the camera looking down on her from the staircase uh for like and and she turns around startled and it's peter and he's like oh yeah i was uh i was napping uh i guess in her room and you're like why would you be like why would anyone let you into a sorority to take a nap first off and secondly why would you do that <laughs> yeah that's like, I mean, I I get well, to a certain I, I, extent if, if if it was a really close relationship, uh, where both of them are uh, feel that they're they're both sort of very involved with each other, but but I get the feeling that Jess is like she's been trying to sort of like cut it off for a while, yeah, and that he's a little too volatile to really handle it very well, yeah, and that maybe she's been holding off because she's worried about his reaction or something like that. Because Jess is very level-headed, all things mm-hmm. considered. And Peter is just a maniac, which is also kind of interesting. In so many horror movies from the 50s and 60s, it's the hysterical woman mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and the very headstrong, smart, capable man. 
And in this case, we have a man who's just an emotional fucking disaster. All the men are, except one. There's the one good cop, but everybody else is like stupid or or ridiculous or or just completely incompetent or or just crazy. And, and these girls you know, are kind of on their own, pretty much. It's especially notable, I think, just how how competent like all of the sorority girl characters are because it's it's it became so conventional to depict especially college-aged women as you know com- bimbos like and- running around dumb bimbos screaming panicking nonstop um and and so like the students in this are depicted like you know like they're adults and yeah they're in college but you know they're not stupid like mm-hmm. they're you know yeah, like they, they, they have lock inner the doors exactly like you do you know, yeah. Well, oh, and, we and carefully locked the doors of the house, and they're they're kind of sticking with other people. They're not running off mm-hmm. by themselves to do anything incredibly stupid. And they're and over and over again, what they run into is authorities not taking shit seriously. Like so, it's so noticeable that they bring up like, "Hey, so and so's been missing." They say, "Oh, she ran off with her boyfriend." Like, no, number one, her boyfriend just finds her boyfriend, and he's like, "No, I haven't seen her in days. I thought she let went for home." And then two, I, I noticed that the cops don't take it seriously until the boyfriend shows up to complain. Mm-hmm. Like, right. oh, a man is talking. This is serious now. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, w- one thing uh, t- t- to your to your point, Kurt, um, w- another small detail is that uh, – Everyone, you get this feeling that everyone, even though they have uh, the the sorority sisters, all have sort of very different uh, personalities. There, there's not the weird uh, sort of like cattiness or rivalry that you get in later slasher, like the the, the same type of like uh, uh, depictions in like other slasher movies. Um, that are I feel they're they're used to then you know basically get get one or more of the of the girls isolated so that they can then become the next victim or whatever, um, and and like I was struck by uh, what is it Phyllis who you know like like it it, it we don't get a lot of uh, screen time or uh, sort of like uh, time to really uh, for them to really act. Uh, outside of like small scenes, but Phyllis feels like somebody who genuinely is worried and cares about Jess, you know, and mm-hmm. and it's sort of sad when <laughs> I, I feel like that's that's part of what's missing here, right? You get a feel for these characters a little bit, um, and then it becomes sort of like tragic when they become victims, you know. Yeah, like even Margot Kidder, who's this loud, rude, kind of obnoxious, really, really funny girl. She has this one moment where she just starts breaking down and crying, saying, "Like you guys think it's my fault. You guys all oh, think yeah, it's yeah. my fault." And it's like, "Oh fuck, mm-hmm. it's brutal." Well, um, in in part because uh, uh, what was the is it Cass is the is the girl that is that or I think it's Claire was it Claire is yeah it Claire? Claire okay Claire. you're right you're, you're right. the first one who gets who gets plasticked mm-hmm. yeah and uh, yes <laughs> Jesus Christ uh, and uh, so basically she's you know like we we see a couple of cutaway. Um, sort of scenes where we realize that she's basically been sort of like with the plastic overhead, which this, this isn't, this isn't especially a spoiler. It's on the marquee poster for the yeah. film. <laughs> uh, she's been s- sort of like posed with the plastic, uh, you know, open mouthed in death, uh, you know, and, and she's stashed away in a rocking chair in the attic, you know, uh, so, so, um, part of the, I believe that part of the freak out that, uh, Barb has, uh, Margot Kidder's character is that also, uh, Claire's dad, uh, who, who was waiting for her to, to meet him, uh, it, I think in front of the church or, or perhaps in the, in the square, uh, to the, to the, um, in one of the squares of the, the, the university area, um, 
And he goes back to the sorority house and starts looking around and uh, the complete uh, lush that is the sorority mother. She uh, rocks. She is, she, she's I, amazing. I, I loved her. <laughs> Honestly, I loved her. Um, she's like trying to, it, it is comic, a little comical, right? She's like covering, covering up like these uh, <laughs> naked bodies to form a peace sign and stuff like, and he's like, well, I'm not, I'm not very, uh, you know, like the, her, her father is not, is very sort of tutting about, you know, like loose morals and whatnot uh, being taught here. And uh, it, it's such a weird thing, right? Because then uh, that sort of, I felt like that creates gossip within the the sorority house. And I feel like Barb herself is like, Oh, that they're talking about me, you know, mm. uh, because she is, you know, she is sort of like the loud body. You know, she, she gives, <laughs> what was the, what she was fucks the, with the cop? She yeah, gives him the wrong the, phone. Cause this was before, this was like back in the day when phone numbers had a word in them. There's oh, like a, a, a word and a couple right. of letters, or a couple of letters, and or, then a numerical could, code. Or, or, or you could, or you could, uh, you could, you know, dial. You know, remember the 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 uh, the the dials had like uh, alphabetical number. You know, like it had the number, and it had alphabetical things as well. I don't know. I, I she she spells out fellatio, and he's yeah, like for oh, the cop yeah. who doesn't know what it is. <laughs> it's so great. It's so good. And there's a callback to it too. Is the other cops are making fun of him. He's like, yeah, the, what the was the number that sorority house says? Felicia, <laughs> one, two, three, four. He's like, what? And they start giggling. He's like, no, the girl gave it to me. And like, she gave it to you, didn't he? Uh, <laughs> oh, she gave it to you, huh? Great. And they're just cracking up at this the dumbass dipshit cop. Yeah. Uh oh, uh the 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 one good cop is the one none smart other. Cop. Yeah, is none other than presenting <laughs> John Saxon, uh, who who has uh, made a name for himself. You, you'll probably um, didn't he play the cop dad in in Nightmare on Elm Street too? Yes, yes, yeah, yes, he, he played. Did. He, yeah, he, he, he found he, his niche. Yeah, he's also he's also been in a lot of uh, movies that MST3K. <laughs> he's in, he's an actor <laughs> the dragon too. <laughs> right, right. Oh, that's you're right. Oh my goodness! <laughs> One of the uh, things that I thought was interesting about about the cops and there's a, there's a very different idea of um, suburban menace in in this film than there is in the later '80s slashers when you kind of get that that almost like that almost like death wish like be afraid of the danger lurking in the shadows of the suburbs and this film while it it superficially has some of that it's much more like it's it's hearkening back to kind of like like a 1950s you know deranged murderer campfire story it's it's much it yeah. feels much more inspired by like you know the hook uh, hand in exactly, the car exactly and that stuff the hook hand yes exactly well, I mean, hiding under the bed licking her hands like oh, well because I mean, she thinks it's the dog you know yeah, i mean that's part and parcel of the premise of the movie, right? Because, um, like, like basically, uh, this is based. Like, I was looking it up. They they wanted to base the movie off of the urban legend that that ends with the the ba the babysitter being you know told like the calls are coming yes. from inside the house, right? Uh, I mean, that had been somewhat popularized at a a certain level, but I, I think it's sort of like. Much like a, a lot of urban legends, it's it's popularized at like this almost um, submerged level of cultural consciousness. Mm -hmm. This probably made it much more, you know, much more uh, popular, and and then is probably also like copied. Well, yeah. this also th th this also kind of recontextualizes it, but or or rather, it it, it has that that older context of like feeling much more like a ghost story almost mm -hmm. or yeah. or even something like shit like like the screaming skull almost where it's like you kind of know what the concept is going to be and the menace is just like the menace of like a spooky story instead of being this highly reactionary you know crime in the suburbs psychopaths hiding to kill your daughter sort like sort of <laughs> thing like there there is a little bit of that but but this is this is like Kind of on the it's this is before serial killers had quite the cultural cachet that they did, you know, 10 years 
later. So there's not quite that fear of like there's murderers everywhere. Like this is this still treats the idea of, you know, the murderer as being like unusual and not reflective of, you know, some kind of disease in society or something. Well, he, the, the, the murderer is also, he's, he's speaking of, right. Uh, another genre sneaking into a, a drama or whatever. He, he's from another urban legend, right? He's the, he's the escaped maniac mm-hmm. that you hear on the radio, right? <laughs> you know, uh, it, it, he's like the urban legend of the escaped maniac or whatever, except that we don't get any backstory. We, we have, we have nothing to go on. I mean, I, I kind of think that I don't know how intentional this is. I'm not I don't know what the filmmakers, if they were making this statement intentionally. But I think the fact that the the killer is faceless, barely has a name. All we see is his eye. And it's so uncertain as to who he is, what his identity is. I think it makes it almost archetypical as this this force of sort of all pervasive cultural misogyny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I and the fact that, that yeah. and yeah. the fact that it's coming from inside the house, like so much rhetoric about women and there's so much justification for controlling women, controlling women's bodies. Cause you have to protect women from the bad stuff and the bad stuff is outside and in the house. That's where a woman should be because that's where a woman is safest. But of course, most women are raped or murdered or beat up by Someone in the house, so mm-hmm. to speak, by mm-hmm. by a trusted family member, by a spouse, by a boyfriend. So it's like oh, over and over and over again, you get people telling these girls, like, stay inside, stay inside, you know, stay here. They keep, like, putting these girls in the house, in in the bedroom. You're safe here. You're safe here. You're safe here. And it's just not making them safe because the problem is in the house. No, I, I think you're spot on. Like, like, I think that the threat in this is the threat towards women that is reflective of a genuine threat towards women. Whereas in a lot of later slasher films, the victims are, are women because they're more vulnerable uh, and, and, you know, like culturally depicted as vulnerable and they are, they are therefore more shocking targets of, of the, the violence, but it's reflective of, uh, this is reflective more, I think of like a, a genuine, you know, cultural problem instead of this, this weird mythologized fear of quote unquote crime. Like this doesn't, this doesn't feel like crime. It feels like violence towards women. I I, th- I think you're spot on. And over and over and over again throughout this movie, there's various people, mostly men trying to control women's bodies, trying to control women's sexuality. There's Claire's dad who mm-hmm. is horrified that a girl has a, a dirty poster on her wall that shows a butt and, <laughs> and you know the cops are constantly like condescending to them and and really dismissive like they've been getting these really fucking creepy phone calls for a long time to the point where at the beginning they get this super fucked up and creepy phone call from this guy and they're like oh it's that fucking guy again and they've been complaining to the police for ages mm-hmm. and it's only the one smart cop who puts it together like hey maybe this guy who's been leaving these fucked up psychopathic sexual messages might have something to do with the violence like the way a lot of men don't connect everyday contempt for women to these extraordinary incidents of violence against women they just kind of see them as completely separate things and it's not and and then there's the whole you know jess's boyfriend doesn't want her to get an abortion and over and over again all this movie is like men trying to control girls trying to control women trying to control women's bodies trying to control women's sexuality and over and over again dismissing women's fears dismissing women's concerns dismissing the everyday misogyny against women and it just all it does is leave women more vulnerable to violence Mm -hmm. instead of helping them and 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 they're so on their own. Like they're one of the most fucked up upsetting scenes is near the end. They need, um, it's the cliche where they need just to stay. Well, it's a cliche now back then, I guess it wasn't where they need just to stay on the phone and keep with this guy and keep him talking so they can trace where it's coming from. And it's just this girl completely alone in a house that's terribly unsafe. And she's got to just stand there and keep, this fucking psycho talking yeah, and they, he's saying like fucking disgusting shit. Well, and they're using her as bait, right? Yeah. Um, which, which doesn't, you know, like, like it, it, 
for the story to work right uh and and this is you know this is part of the the urban legend as well that that's what that that's what happens right but but at the same time like the the dynamic of it is like yeah so they have a cop in a car outside the house well why isn't there a cop inside the house <laughs> why, why couldn't there be someone standing guard like in the foyer of the of the sorority house or something who knows um well, uh, raquel uh and and forgive me if i'm off base but i f- uh, didn't the um the murder of the little girl that they find in the park uh is what sort of feels like uh, at least maybe i'm misremembering but but it felt like that's what sort of spurred everyone to up uh like security and like oh well there is some sort of weird killer around yeah i think so now we yeah now we have to yeah, because when the one girl is missing, everyone's like, oh, it's it's probably fine, even though it's increasingly clear, like, something fucked up just happened. There's no way everything well, – it doesn't make sense that she would just run off. Right. Where well, did she I run mean, to? But but one of the things that, if I remember correctly, uh, that they mentioned about Claire is, like, uh, oh, most of the time, like, one of the things that's, that's used to sort of hand wave away that she's been gone for two days by then – uh, is the fact that it's like, oh, most of these times, uh, you know, you, you investigate and she's, you know, shacked up in a cabin with her boyfriend or whatever. Uh, so, so sort of, um, sort of like, uh, dismissing it because, uh, because at, at, at that age, you know, like, a woman's, you know, a sexual, you know, she, she is sexually mature and she can, you know, have sex. Whereas weirdly, uh, like may, maybe I'm, I'm mixing this up, but it felt like a little girl getting murdered is, you know, like somehow that's, that's a more valuable and, uh, yeah, she's innocent. Brings, yeah, she's innocent and therefore, you know, not sexually available and therefore to be protected. And like, there's an entire, uh, 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 what do you call it search party you know like right. roaming roaming around as well uh which is i was just like sort of like you open the door and the guy's just sort of like uh, tilting his shotgun <laughs> like inside and you're like what why are you doing that dude don't don't do that yeah <laughs> don't point that at anybody jesus christ yeah they they, they want to be these i mean they're they're well intentioned but they want to be these big great heroes it's like they're you're just bumbling doofuses you're mm-hmm. not gonna yep. you're not gonna help anyone you're a doofus and there's that god there's that scene where i think it's claire's dad finds he's one of the people who finds the little girl in the park and there's that horrible contradiction on his face where it's like you know, a part of him is relieved that it's not his kid, mm-hmm. yeah. even though he's just stumbled onto what is obviously a murdered girl. Like, mm-hmm. and, and you've got to deal with that internal guilt of being weirdly relieved that someone else's kid got murdered. Do yeah. they ever actually connect the two? Like, is, is, is that just like a random killing or is there anything to suggest? I, I think that it's it was- implied that it's Billy, that Billy, because that park is like right across from the house. So mm-hmm. I don't know. He probably killed someone on the way to the house or something. It's, I don't think they explicitly say it's him, but it's super strongly implied. I mean, it's, it's also like, I, I don't, I think that Kurt's onto something because a lot of the scenes with the cops have like these random ass and, and like these random ass issues that are happening. Yeah. There's the dude uh, who got the, the cop who got shot, shot in the butt in the butt with birdshot. Uh, <laughs> and the guy's like, hey, he, was, he was trespassing. And you're like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> well, not to mention that last, like, could you imagine having a scene like that now? <laughs> yeah. Like that, that, that dude would be paced. Yes. Probably. He would be dead. He would have, he would have ended up like the guy in, in RoboCop. Uh, with yeah. Ed, Ed to a nine. They would have a, a series of, of Ziploc bags full of that guy. <laughs> He said it said something about trespassing, but we 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 didn't hear anything else because we were firing so much. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, it, it, like like the, I feel like it's not. I don't feel like it's it's uh, what do you call it? Um, like 
an accident that a lot of the scenes that we end up getting in the police precinct uh, are, are just sort of like them dealing with a bunch of like smaller things while the big, you know, like the big issue looming in the entire movie is sort of like unresolved or, you know, s- slowly like they're taking their their time uh, and, and you get it. Right. But at the same time, like, it's like, come on, man. <laughs> Yeah, we're in this. You're in this movie for this. Uh, you know, it's it's fear. It's funny because it, it is sort of like, um, sort of like poking you to, in a way that you're sort of like meta. You have a meta commentary now, uh, as to you know, like the cops are here to solve the big thing. Well, <laughs> you know what? You know what is interesting. Speaking of the cops and and the way that they're depicted is, um, they. Stuff like when they need to trace the phone call is treated with um, this kind of like weird, this surprising level of realism where like they call up the phone company and the phone company has people go out to like the switching rooms. And it's it's not just like, you know, a cop being like, we got the trace back. Like they're they're kind of like they're they're kind of showing in a much Mm. more realistic fashion, like how cumbersome it is. And how well, and, ineffective policing kind of is. Yeah. Well, and, and, and the guy, the guy that's in the, in the, um, in the, uh, connecting room uh, has to run down to catch it, you know, before, you know, before they hang up or whatever. It, it, it also adds a little bit of tension, right? Because it, it, it shows you, I think to your point, it shows you that, that there is some work involved in doing this. Um, but at the same time, like there, there's a chance of failure. Uh, and that sort of sucks. Uh, I, I will say that um, while I don't know that this is supposed to be any type of propaganda, it's it definitely is showing you sort of like, yeah, sometimes it doesn't work. Yeah. And sometimes you just have the dumbest cop in the world in charge of the very critical function. The the sergeant in in charge of the <laughs> in charge of the uh, the desk. Don't fuck this up. He immediately fucks it up. <laughs> immediately fucks it up. God, Nash, it's also, dude. How many times are I going to tell you, Dash? <laughs> you know what else is interesting is, is is that the slasher kills a cop, and it's not like this massive escalation. They're just like they. It's kind of barely even commented upon. I'm not even sure if they ever even like come back to it because he 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 slits one of their throats while they're in like the squad car. Oh, that's right. Yeah, 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 yeah you're the right. The cop who's outside of the sorority house supposedly protecting them. Yeah, and the cops aren't like we got to get revenge. They're, they're, I don't think they even mentioned it. They're like, oh well. <laughs> then again, it's like, oh shit, are, oh well. They, they are Canadian cops. Well, maybe that was the the guy that uh, the most unpleasant cop on the <laughs> in the precinct. Yeah. And they're like, oh man, shit. The cop was talking to Internal Affairs. <laughs> like, oh shit, hey, two birds, one stone. Fuck, man. Thanks, Billy. We're going to let you have just one more sorority girl for that, for doing us a solid as a treat. Uh, you know, to, go, going back for a second towards like the to the violence against women angle of it, what we do find out. Uh, and I apologize if this was already discussed because I stepped away for a couple of minutes to feed to feed my very annoying cats and to let my very annoying dog outside. Very um, nice. But what we do find out about Billy's backstory, or at least what's implied, seems to be sexual violence or some kind of violence towards towards like a younger sister. It, it, yeah. it seems to be what is mm. being alluded to or suggested. Because there's, there's there's repeated stuff of of like. By the way, Billy is very good at doing impressions. Very good voice work, I have to say. I was yeah, kind of confused about like like are they going to reveal that he's got like a tape recorder or something? Because it really sound, it doesn't sound was, like one it, person. Yeah, yeah. He 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 uh, his he snapped after uh, he found out that impressions weren't quite as big in 1975. <laughs> yeah, he was gonna do like uh, the Borscht Belt circuit, and he had to he had to fall back on on murdering people. Um, his or, his origin story involves Rich Hall, you know, snubbing him. <laughs> waka waka. But yeah, like like one he, hour he, of he's... incest jokes. It's not playing well at the country club. What are you doing? <laughs> one one hour of me, you know, misogynistically insulting the audience. 
instead of threatening yeah. them. Just um, screaming the word cunt over and over again for 60 minutes. It, Kurt, that's just Bill Maher. It's all Marr. comedy. You yeah. don't get it. <laughs> it's just Bill Maher now. It's canceled yeah. culture. You can't even perform to college kids anymore. <laughs> My no no have, I mean uh, not not to go off on a huge tangent but but I mean the thing that's annoying is that like he'll tell a a, a tasteless and or offensive joke and people will boo him he's like oh, come on come on and then eventually I guess I guess he has assistants in the audience or something that that sort of like drum up applause and laughter and it's like Ugh. oh wow that's pathetic <laughs> it's it really is it's that's bad. just oh, jerking Bill Maher? off man really yeah Bill Maher yeah. That is so sad. What a sad man. What a little worm. Yep. Yep. Anyway, uh, back to Black Christmas. Enough about that bug. Um, (laughs) Yeah, uh, it's it's like, yeah, um, what we hear is like Billy doing the voice of his parents and being like, what did you do with the baby? Where's the baby? Like over and over again. And he keeps saying like, you can't tell them anything, Agnes. You can't tell them about, about what happened, Agnes. So it's like, it's, it's, it is very strong implications of some kind of like violence towards like a female sibling. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and again, it's like this, it's never resolved. It's just kind of this, this overarching impression that like, you know, women, women are threatened by, you know, violent men or potentially all men. Like, and I think it, it does a good job of suffusing the film without, w- without anyone ever looking at the, looking into the camera and being like, so let me tell you a moral about this. Film. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, just cracking so, open a Ms. Magazine and reading from it. <laughs> so, so as you're saying that Kurt, it, it strikes me that the ending, we should probably talk about the ending. Uh, because uh, I mean, we, we had already mentioned that um, that Peter, uh, after being sort of like, uh, basically Peter teeters between uh, Peter teeters uh, between uh, several different emotions, and then you know sort of does a, a breaking entry into the 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 basement as Jess is sort of like sitting there uh, being uh, she, she's running away from the actual killer, and she sees him. It's it's very sort of menacing too because she sees him sort of like. Uh, not she doesn't know it's him him uh she just sees like a shadow sort of like uh of a man sort of like uh, crouching um silhouetted against the window in in the basement and then slowly uh sort of like walking around until he finds the door and breaks the door uh you know mm-hmm. breaks the glass in the door and, and and breaks in and uh and she's got a poker in her hand and uh like you said, Raquel, he he sort of like tries to turn on the turn. What are you doing down here, baby? And like smiling at her and shit like that. And yeah, after he smashes a window to break into her home. Well, yeah, I mean, but he's like <laughs> also skulking around, and it's yeah. like, why? Why are you doing this? Like, you're just being fucking creepy, dude. Um, and uh, so, so when the cops arrive, they find her like his body on top of hers. And he's like, just, you know, like they, they have some tasteful blood. <laughs> um, uh, so, so obviously uh, they, they've been, you know, like they, they fought or they scuffled or whatever. And uh, she brained them with the, with the uh, poker. And, uh, you know, she, she comes to, and then later on they're like, oh, she, you know, they, they, they sedate her, give her like a, a sedative to calm her down. And they're talking about like over her. They're they're just talking about like, you know, when when uh, John Saxon's cop character can interrogate her, uh, it'll be a, a day and a half after this, you know, blah blah. And everyone like uh, I don't know. Um, no, I'm sorry. They they do talk about how uh, Peter is probably they they did think that Peter was the killer, and now they have the proof and blah blah. And everyone just like clears out, and she's just left on the on the bed alone in the house because uh, her her remaining two roommates that were going to stay there for the Christmas break or whatever have been murdered. Uh, and everyone just clears out, like all the men that were so intent on protecting her, just leave her like neglect her. They're drugged. And I think if I'm remembering correctly, we get the last, like one of the last shots is like supposed to be like the camera in the point of view of the killer. 
Yes. Yeah. Kind of like lurking around around the door, it seems like. Because, yeah, we, we get a scene of him, you know, doing his his kind of like self-talk uh, up up in the attic with um, the house mom and Claire uh, still in. I, I have to say, you mentioned the poster already with with like the like the like the the dress bag you know, over her head and suffocated. This is one of those instances where they very wisely realized that they had a very evocative image um, mm-hmm. and that they should use it a bunch of times. And they weren't wrong because it is a like the image of her and the rocking of Claire in the rocking chair with like the, the bag kind of like pressed around her head and, and the kind of like going into her mouth a bit is like mm-hmm. very off putting. Um, mm-hmm. And so like, that's even like one of the closing images uh, of of the film and then yeah they kind of they kind of end on that that point of view shot of the what seems to be the killer kind of lurking around the room and looking in at her uh and then it cuts to outside where you see i believe you see the last cop come outside and kind of He's smoke just a, having cigarette a cigarette or something yeah. and then the <laughs> phone starts ringing mm-hmm. yep credits <laughs> uh yeah i i i honestly like that that disturbed me more than anything else in this movie honestly i was like just sitting there like no don't somebody should stay with her what are you what are you guys doing but then again you know like what 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 do cops help with right not much yeah well and and then you know like it's also it feels sort of like true to life right because they 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 found someone to pin like the crimes on uh, and and he's not going to talk because he's dead. So, <laughs> like, yeah. Okay, we solved it. That's it. Yep. Then, we don't really need to make sure that she's okay. We don't need to put like a psychologist there, or a counselor, or something to talk to her. Because, like, best case scenario, she wakes up alone in her bed in a house where all of her friends were murdered. Yeah, and that's it, not a great situation to be in. Even that, if you're yeah. perfectly safe, that's not a great time. Yeah. The, the, they they definitely needed a little practice on their uh i don't know if it's bedside manner but but very close to that right it's like oh yeah she'll be fine in the murder house <laughs> she'll be fine like maybe you should put her in a hotel room or something i don't know man <laughs> there's also like the borderline gothic dramatic irony that like they they never find the original victim like they never find that claire is mm. dead in the attic in a rocking chair with a bag over her head looking out the the window is up there hanging from a hook yeah looking out the window yeah it's like a very gothic image of like you know like the the hidden corpse in in the house um and yeah they're just up there with the killer which goes right back to that that original urban legend that uh that carlo was talking about yeah Yeah. all right I mean, something, um, something that was kind of cool in this movie is I, I I guess this was before the whole like final girl Laurie Strode thing was formalized, but that in so many of these so many of these stories, the sort of virginal pure hearted heroine is the survivor. And in this case, we start off with Claire, who is implied to be a virgin. She like Barb calls her a professional, yeah, professional virgin. Virgin, I love that. Professional virgin. Such a bitch. She rocks. <laughs> And okay, it looks like okay. Claire's Claire's the good girl. Claire's like the good girl who listens to her father and is dutiful to her pa- to her parents. And she like she she's kind of looks like she's going to be the heroine, or at least she's the kind of person who usually is the heroine in these kinds of stories. And she fucking dies immediately. And then like the girl who is obviously fucking because she's pregnant and she says, "I want an abortion." She's the hero. Mm-hmm. that rocks yeah she becomes the you know the, the final girl if we will right yeah um yeah I, I it is funny because it is completely inverted uh to what the the genre conventions of the slasher would become right and what every and and the the big cliche that oh final girls are sexually pure ev- that's the big cliche that everybody talks about. It's like, no, this one, which is might be one of the first slashers, does very much the opposite, very explicitly. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I suppose we should probably start winding down. Uh, 
do, do we have any other super pressing things that we want to talk about uh, that that happened in the movie? Film looks great. I'll just say that it's it's mm-hmm. shot very well. It looks it looks good. The external like the nighttime photography looks really good. Like that is one thing that bothers me about like modern films like this is they you can you can always see way too much at night and like when they show the house um at night in this like it looks like looking at a house across the street it's lit very well it's got like it's just it lo- it looks real it doesn't look overly detailed like a lot of nighttime photography does now and it also doesn't look look you know impossible to see um oh oh you know what's funny we haven't really talked much about about the christmas uh aspect of this yeah there's what i i love i love the the santa the foul mouth yes santa with with like I mean, the this man fucking perm. sucks i hate this bullshit <laughs> in front of children yeah he's like these little bastards what time do those little <laughs> bastards get there it rocks well i mean uh he he, he does seem to be a friend of barb's so yeah, <laughs> yeah of course <laughs> he was someone's boyfriend wasn't he yeah, yeah, he was. Was he like I, the nerdy girl's boyfriend? Was it was was, was it Phyllis? Phyllis? Yeah, I, feel I think like it was Phyllis. Was, was she the girl like, yeah. with the perm? Yeah, yeah, and the glasses. She, she looks a lot like my mom did in the seventies. Like a great teacher. she had the same haircut and the same glasses. Oh no! <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> and as 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 the seventies became the late seventies, early eighties, that would have become frosted tips. <laughs> yeah. Oh no! Oh no, dude! She, uh, my my mom rocked the perm until like the early nineties. Like I remember her. Oh my god! Her going to wow. get perms um, when I was in you know like fourth and fifth grade, and and, and then she finally let it go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, time to give up the ghost. <laughs> Granted, it's it's popular again for Zoomer boys. Very strange. It's very I, weird watching a, a cheesy horror movie from the 80s and seeing the haircut on the mom character and going like, a little 22-year-old TikTok star would have that exact same haircut now, and girls would think that's hot. I don't know. Wow. I don't know what to say about that. I had no idea that the perm had come back. Yeah, it's like on dudes. Yeah, it's and a weird. It's, it's, it's a weird combination of like, like the high and tight with with like the sides shaved and then like a like like a weird like tousled perm on th- it's very strange weird <laughs> okay weird yeah we're officially old we're, we're, old. we're complaining yes. about the young people's haircuts yeah soon they'll be wearing bell bottoms again <laughs> you know what if 70s men's fashion comes back i'll be thrilled <laughs> any anything to get us back to the pre-90s era when yes. like oh, men's man. fashion was actually kind of fun and interesting and offered variety we 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 go back to uh to those uh early pictures like the 70s pictures of uh of Chip Delaney and and George R.R. <laughs> Martin dressed Hell like Hell yeah yeah where he looks like a wizard <laughs> it's yeah. great uh, he's got like a big fucking chain on he's got a yeah. giant medallion well, yeah he's got like a medallion and it's over over the top of his uh his black turtleneck <laughs> yeah i'm uh, fucking cool bring it back make it okay for men to look like wizards again I, i'm okay with that uh, yeah I, I am fine with that oh yeah uh, what one christmas thing in this film that i thought was very effective was the sequence with like the children's choir yeah um, the carolers yeah that was that was really good um because they use it to like heighten tension and they're like they're they're cutting it's it's like a murder going on and like that they're cutting yeah and she and doesn't hear him because the children's singing yep mm-hmm. that's Wait, when so barb's Bar- getting killed yeah. by a glass unicorn that's right that's right <laughs> yeah that was a brutal scene that one that was brutal yeah i i the the minute i think the they 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 do a little shot where they show her little uh glass her collection of glass uh figurines and stuff and the minute you see the the unicorn you're like mm, yeah <laughs> i i know where that's going well that and i i it's just not just a horn, but also unicorns. They have that symbol of, of mm-hmm. virginity, like, girlhood. Yeah. yeah, virginity and innocence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, also, um, isn't uh, maybe I'm off base, but isn't uh, is it Streetcar Called Desire? Uh, the Tennessee. Which one is the Tennessee Williams? Is it Glass Menagerie? Yeah, yeah, Glass, Glass Menagerie. Yeah. yeah. 
uh as well i don't know i i don't know if it's a it's a connection or intentional but but definitely i mean also and, like and that might have just been a thing that a lot of girls were into yeah, in the yeah, 70s no, i that, don't know that, it seems like a 1970s girl <laughs> thing my 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 grandmother had a bunch of like glass like blown glass fish and stuff like that so yeah it it it, it was definitely something that that was around you know like fine blown glass type figurines or whatever anyway um I think that I, I don't have any last thoughts other than like this movie is pretty great. It's a good uh, movie. Solid. It holds up really well. Yeah. Yeah. A good cast too. Um, but, uh, but yeah. Uh, anything <laughs> else from, from either one of you? I, I thought briefly that uh, Michael Rappaport was in this film. And then I realized it's someone named Michael Report. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I saw it in the credits and I was like, Michael Rappaport. I was like, oh, wait, no, Michael Report. Never mind. <laughs> what are you, some sort of dink? <laughs> uh, anyway. All right. So, uh, Raquel, thanks for, for giving me, uh, you know, like basically giving me a reason to, to watch this movie. I I. I I suppose I'd never really heard of it until uh, you mentioned it. And I was like really taken, you know, sort of like taken in by, by how, uh, how good it is. Um, so thank you for that. And uh, uh, I, I suppose that should be it. Right. Uh, anything else? Uh, watch last Christmas. It's good. It's good. It's a good movie. The, the 1974 version. Yes. Watch please. the 1970s. Don't bother with the remakes. Just yeah. don't. There's no need. Go back to the source. Go back All to right. the source. No one remembers the remakes. They're no good. <laughs> well, in any case, uh, thanks again, Raquel. Uh, and uh, Merry Black Christmas to you all. Yeah. We'll catch you next time here on Podside. <laughs>